Uh, we're in the Gospel of John, and I think it is uh, fitting for us to continue in, in John and where we are in this particular chapter. And I thought about doing something uh, special, if you would, uh, but it seemed fitting that we were in the right place at the right time. And so let's begin first with a little reflection. The Lord had dinner with Martha and Mary and Lazarus and the disciples. And at some point, while they were together, Mary took a very expensive ointment made from spikenard and anointed the Lord's feet, feet showing her sacrifice and humility in serving the Lord. Judas sees what Mary is using to anoint the Lord, and because he was greedy and a thief, he expressed disapproval. But the Lord stepped in and defended her in acknowledging that she made an excellent choice by her actions, the actions that she took to show honor to her Lord. And because Lazarus was alive, as a bona fide, undeniable, living proof that the Lord had performed the greatest miracle that has ever been done. The Lord Jesus and Lazarus was a threat to the Pharisees. And so, because of that, because of that reason, they not only plotted to kill the Lord, but they plotted to kill Lazarus also. And we concluded that there was a difference between the crowds who believed and the Pharisees, along with Mary, Martha, Lazarus, the disciples, and Judas. And do you remember what that was? We concluded that there was a difference between the groups of people. They were defined as those who believe, and we called them what? The faithful. That's right. And those who did not believe, what did we call them? The faithless, right? And so here it is. We have the faithful and the faithless. They know they knew and they heard what the Lord proclaimed himself to be. They saw the miracles, but they came to different conclusions. They had a different reality. They understood things differently, yet they saw the same things. Some believed, others did not. What will you choose today? Will you continue with a greater fulfillment and satisfaction in Christ and serve him with greater joy, love, and sacrifice to bring glory to his name? Or will you leave in denial of all that you have seen and heard and claim for yourself disbelief. You see, 
we have the same decision before us. We have the same decisions to, to make just like those that have gone before us. Either we will become faithful unto eternal life or we will remain faithless, leading to eternal damnation. Who are you? Let's consider for the rest of our time together John's gospel in which he said was written so that we might believe. And so either this will impress into us the word of the living God and will cause us to continue in obedience or it would cause us to separate even more from the Christ. And if that is what happens, the scripture says we've been condemned already. But if we believe the good news of Jesus Christ, we would be saved. So turn with me to John chapter 12. And we're going to pick up where we left off. The text says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out up, out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let us pray. Father, please, we ask that you would extend your grace to us this day so that we might better serve you. Speak to us through the preaching of your word and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And apply your word to us all. Help us, Lord, under the sound of my voice. 
to do that which will only please you and honor you alone. And please let today be the day when you would pull unbelieving people, the unbelieving one, out of the pit of hell, giving them eternal life solely on the basis of what you have done for them. May today be the day of salvation. And may they also say, yes, I too believe. Father, may your word go forth with power, convicting us, changing us. May we come to be your people. Help us to become to be more of your people, trusting you and honoring you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled the sermon, The King is Coming and the World Has Gone After Him. I'm going to try to explain that we pull that title right from the text. Uh, we believe that these two ideas or concepts are in the text, uh, but we do want to be clear in, in explaining what that means. So we have um, put up some, um, some signs, if you would. Sign number one, point number one, that we'll be considering is recognizing the Lord Jesus as the promised Messiah and King. Sign number two, or point number two, is the humility of Christ made known through fulfilled prophecy. And sign number three is the witness of the people and the response of the Pharisees. Let us begin point number one. Recognizing the Lord Jesus as the promised Messiah and King. Verse 12 and 11 says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Verse 12, it mentioned it being the next day. This is in reference to the day after the crowds had gone to see Jesus and Lazarus. Remember, we talked about that on last week. They came, they, they must set their eyes on this man who died and was brought back to life. So they came to see Jesus, but they also wanted to see this man who was dead for four days and was now brought back to life. So the crowd wanted to witness this man who they knew who once died and was living again. According to verse 12, the next day was after the crowd came. It was during the Passover feast that the word got out that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem when the people heard the Lord Jesus was coming. The crowd responded by giving him the treatment of a king. Now, John lets us know with descriptive language about how many people 
was there. He said it was a large crowd. It's one thing to say a crowd was there. But the descriptive language here is that there was a large crowd. And remember, they're they're there for the Passover feast. So here it is. A large crowd is there. He said that this large crowd of people heard he was coming. The Lord was coming. So what did they do? According to verse 13, the people responded with recognition. They began waving palm branches and crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And so, more than likely, this is happening on a Sunday. And it is from this text that the Christian tradition was formed. And it was called what? Palm Sunday, right? And so, the word Hosanna is a transliteration of the Hebrew word, which means give salvation now. Now, in most cases, the people probably understood this as a political and military takeover. They would probably say, finally, we have our king. We have our king. Finally, now we can rise up against Roman rule and we can once again have our independence. This is what the Pharisees feared would happen. They didn't like this idea. And later on, these people and the Pharisees would become allies because the Lord would not represent either of their positions. So because of that, they would participate in sending the Lord to be crucified on a cross. About five days from this moment, which is also considered as Passion Week. It is at this time. At this moment, they will not yell out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Instead, they would say, crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. You see, Jesus is king. He came as one who was born of a virgin named Mary, and he is both God and man. And he is on mission to save his people through his finished work on the cross. And so he's about his father's business. It's the very thing he continued in saying is that he's on mission to do the Father's will. And so in applying this text, we ought to find joyful worship in all of life. 
Not just during the Christmas season or Resurrection Sunday. The text ought to encourage us as believers to incorporate worship into our daily lives, not just during church services. Just as the crowd expressed joy and worship with palm branches, Christians can find ways to honor and praise Jesus in their everyday activities, recognizing the Lord's presence in all aspects of life. In other words, we are to seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6.33 through faith in all of our decision-making, in all of the challenges we face. And in doing so, we recognize that Jesus is our Messiah and King, and we want to seek his guidance in both major life decisions and daily choices, and this helps us in striving to align our actions, our emotions, everything with his teachings and with the examples that he has given us. Moving on to the next point, point number two, the humility of Christ made known through fulfilled prophecy. As you know, the Lord has been telling his disciples and others they should tell no one about what he's doing. You remember he would heal people and he would even tell them, don't, don't tell nobody. Right? He would do things for the disciples and tell them, hey, don't, don't tell anybody. And the reason being because it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time for him to make himself known. And so the Lord knew that. He was on the Father's time. And so here it is. As you know, during this time, he's in Bethany. He came back to Bethany after they had said that they were going to kill him. Remember, he went to Ephraim with his disciples, and he stayed there, remained there. And then he came to Bethany because he wanted to meet with Lazarus. He wanted to meet with Mary. He wanted to meet with uh, Martha. And so here it is. They're having a dinner. And it is during this time where the Lord is aware that there is a bounty on his head. Now, all of that would change after this. Let's read verses, let's reread verses 14 through 16. Again, it says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. Verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written 
about him and had been done to him when he was glorified. So in this moment, disciples really didn't understand everything that was going on. And the Lord told them to go and fetch me a donkey. And if somebody, you would read this in the other Gospels, if somebody tell you or mentions to you, why do you, why you're taking the donkey, tell them the Lord have sent you. The master wanted. And that's what happened. And the text goes on to say, when they were asked about it, the people allowed them to take the donkey. So here we are at this point. The Lord clearly is letting the cat out of the bag. He is clearly proclaiming himself to be the king of Israel. Jesus rode into Jerusalem identifying as the Savior and King while at the same time fulfilling the prophecy written to all those who, was here, who would hear to us today from the Scriptures, all those according to the Scriptures. And he says, at first the disciples didn't comprehend what was happening until they recalled what the Scriptures had said about the Lord. And in Genesis 49, 10 through 11, we see an earlier messianic prophecy describing a ruler from Judah who rode on a donkey that commanded obedience from the people, from the nations. And so, if you would, the scriptures are essentially pointing to Christ, pointing forward to the Messiah. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John cites from Zechariah 9, Psalm, Zechariah 9, 9, Psalm 118, 25, and 26, and Isaiah 62 and 11. These are the scriptures that were fulfilled in Christ by the actions that he's taking. The fact that he's ascending for a donkey and is now about to travel on a donkey riding into Jerusalem, he's expressing that I am fulfilling prophecy. I am king. And so here it is. The Jews knew what this meant. They knew the scriptures. And so when the Lord sat upon the young donkey, he was declaring himself as the king that was prophesied in the scriptures. He made it known. No more was he saying, keep quiet. He essentially bust open through the door and says, I'm king. Worship me. He made it known that he was indeed the Messiah and the Son of God. The Lord is presenting himself. He's presenting himself to Israel as the prince of peace. He alone is the Savior. He alone is the everlasting, the eternal king, Saul. 
was a king, and Saul failed for religious reasons. David was a king, and he himself failed for moral reasons. Solomon, likewise, failed because of religious reason. But now we have a king who won't fail, who can't ever fail. We have the one king of kings. We have the one Lord of lords. And here it is. The king and the Lord is presenting himself to Israel. And they must believe in him. Christ is the Jews' only hope. Christ is man's only hope. Hope. Some are still looking for a king. Jesus declared that he is the I am. I am the one who is, who is talked about in the scriptures. But notice how the Lord declared his kingship. Most kings, how do kings normally ride into their kingdom? Normally, kings would get on a stallion. They would get on a stallion, and it would not be any kind of stallion. It would be the best of the best. You can imagine a white stallion. You can imagine a Clydesdale. It's white, and that is large. You can imagine the king with his crown, and he's riding through his kingdom, declaring himself as a king. But that's not what happened. It's not what happened. What we have to remember that is that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. Instead of coming into the streets of Jerusalem on a kingly white stallion chosen for the best of horses, he came in on a donkey's coat. Not, not, not the donkey, but the young donkey. The young donkey. The, the little one. The, the, the small one. This young animal is on the lower tier compared to all the other animals. Yet the Lord was willing, and he rode into Jerusalem on a young donkey. The, the mother donkey was, was probably nearby. This is a lowly beast of burden, if you would. In verse 16, we see the disciples didn't understand these things. They didn't, they didn't know what was going on. His disciples was puzzled, like, what's, what's going on? They, they didn't know what to make of it. And so they would continue to be puzzled. They didn't know what to make of it, but some time went by as they pondered and, and and John alluded to this. They pondered these things, and they would understand later. It says, then they remembered what was written in the scriptures 
And at some point, they applied it to being somewhat fulfilled in Christ. But this, this didn't happen quickly, right? Because they did not have the Spirit of God living in them, so they could not comprehend but so much. They had the Lord, but unless he explains it to them, they don't know what's, what's really going on. And they, they will continue in not knowing what's going on. It's only by the Spirit that they would understand everything that Jesus did. And so their understanding of this fulfillment of the prophecy came later. In John 14, 26, the disciples were told this by the Lord, but, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It is only after the death of Christ and his ascension that the disciple re disciples realized the full reality of the prophetic significance of what the Lord Jesus accomplished in fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies in reference to the Messiah. That came later when the Holy Spirit was able to give them clarity about the things they have seen and the things that, that they have heard. That's why John is able to write down the gospel. And that's why we have the gospel now is because of the Spirit of God who is able to give illumination and clarity as to what is the Word of God. And so this is a reminder to us to seek the Spirit's help in all things in life, in practice, and in obedience to the Father. So here it is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords rides in on a donkey through the dusty streets of Jerusalem. What does that say to us? You have the one who is the eternal God who owns everything decides to ride on a coat, the coat of a donkey into the streets of Jerusalem. What does that say to us? What is the scripture saying to us about the actions that the Lord has taken? The one who has all rights to be on the best. The one who, has, who, who really deserved to be carried by men into Jerusalem. The one who sustains the universe. The one who is the Lord. What does it reveal? It reveals the humility of Christ and the obedience to the Father. What he loved more than anything is to obey the Father's will. To be in step with the Father's will. How humbling was that for the one who sat at the right hand of the Father, who set aside his 
sovereign authority and rule and put on humanity. To become a man and to also live amongst men. But yet, humbled himself under the Father's will so that he might honor him. It's clear that the Lord Jesus was on mission and he wasn't going to let anything sidetrack the mission that his father had given him. In his obedience to the father, prophecy was fulfilled about himself. But even in his obedience, even in his his learning obedience, he was teaching us. What was he teaching us? He was teaching us about humility. He gave us his example. He was teaching us about trusting him as he trusted the Father. One of the major lessons we can we must learn as Christians is the importance of trusting in God's timing. Remember, the Lord would not do anything until it was time. He knew what his assignment was, but he didn't try to go past what the Father had commanded him. He was willing to subject himself to the Father's will. Even though he himself was God, he subjected himself to the Father's will. He was willing to come under the Father's will for this particular mission in saving mankind. What an example for us. The disciples eventually understood what Jesus was doing after they considered the matter. As believers, we must learn to have patience and faith even when God's plan isn't immediately clear. We have to trust that God will give us understanding in his own timing. And the fact is, that doesn't always feel good. But remember, we must make our feelings come under what we believe. We have to apply what we believe by having our emotions and our feelings to come under the Word of God, to come under what He has said, and we must believe and trust in Him because our God is faithful. He is faithful. And so... We have to learn patience. We have to learn to be faithful in God's plan for us. We have to trust that God will give us what we need when we need it. The disciples didn't understand what the Lord was doing at first, but they didn't, as far as we know, according to the Scriptures, does not say they didn't get emotional to the point where they could not continue in trusting God. Instead, they waited and thought about what was happening. And then at some point, by the way of the Spirit, 
they understood, and as the Scripture says, patience is a virtue. Sometimes patience for us won't be easy. So what, what do we do if we want to have success? We can begin with what the Lord started out with. We need humility in everything we do for the glory of Christ. That means we must humble ourselves. We must be humble servants in our roles within the family. We all have roles. We all have roles in the church. We all have responsibility, but we must be humble. And even in the workplace, sometimes there's a need for us to come under authority. And we're not talking about doing something that is wrong. We're just simply talking about doing our jobs well for the glory of Christ, showing ourselves to be humble as we serve others. Anytime we're serving others, we ought to be humble. Why? Because we are witnesses of Christ and we represent him. We have to continue on a daily, daily basis to lose our own identity and come under the identity of Christ and where we belong. We must die to self. The new man must rise up and live for the sake of Christ and for the glory of God. And so we need Humility. That's going to help us in showing forth the glory of Christ in all the earth. And remember, God has a plan for each and every one of us. So we don't have to worry about what the other one is doing. We don't have to look over somebody else's fence in jealousy or envy. Because we have the same dad. Children, the children ought not to be jealous because we're in the same family. And we definitely ought not to be jealous of those who are in the world because we know in the end, we know that that's only going to lead to failure, disappointment, dissatisfied, and being unfulfilled. But in, in Christ, we have all things. So, remember, God has a plan for your life, just as he had a plan to save us from sin. If the God of the universe can save us from sin, meaning that every sin we would ever commit from conception to the grave and he can take sin upon himself and save us in himself and his own works. Surely he can deal with the itty-bitty issues we have in this life. The question is, do we believe it? We should have confidence because the Lord has overcome the world. And he says, even death, he has overcome Death itself, you've overcome the grave, and you've overcome hell. Nothing can stop us. 
So we can take from this, uh, be careful because stress kills. All right? Our final point. Point number three, the witness of the people and the response of the Pharisees. The text says, the crowd that had been with him, been with Jesus, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. In verses 17 through 19, we have a snapshot of what happened that led up to Christ being crucified on a cross. The events that took place went from condemnation and crucifixion. So the crowd continued to bear witness. The crowd continued to bear witness about the claims he made as the Son of God and the signs he performed as proof as that he has indeed who he, he was that he indeed was who he said he was. But the Pharisees continued to deny his claims and the evidence he produced with protests, even though it proves his identity. They continue in their fears of losing their status and identity among the Romans. So verse 19 In response, the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after them. Now, this was an exaggerated statement of fear. This doesn't mean that the world was becoming Christian. Instead, they were afraid that it would. Verse 19 reveals the frustration. They hated the idea that people they used to influence were following after Christ and believing in him. They wanted him and Lazarus dead. Jesus heralded the good news that would give life, hope, and peace with God. It is the message of the cross that will turn the world upside down eventually. There's an example of this we know in Acts 17, verses 6 through 9. Turn with me and look there for a moment. Acts 17, beginning at verse 6. The text says, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, talking about Roman authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down, there's that that implying again, right, 
That if the gospel get out, it's going to affect people, and people will begin believing the message. And here it is. It's happening. It says, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. They're trying to put them against Rome, saying that there is nothing, there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Pay, give us, give us some money and we'll you know, pay you a little fee or whatever, we'll let you go. But it's the same idea, the fear, the, the worry and concern of the Pharisees was that if we allow this message to continue, it's going to go out affecting the world. You see, in one sense, the world is affected by the gospel message, and that's the only message that's eternal and that will truly change man's heart from coming or from committing sin. It's the only message that will change a culture. It's the only message that will change a nation. It's the only message that will change the world. In other words, God over everything. So as Christians, we must remember that we are the witnesses to the power at work in us in our lives. So I encourage you, be a witness for Christ. Share your experiences of faith and how God was at work in your lives. Just as the crowd's testimony about Lazarus' resurrection drew others to Jesus, our personal experiences can be a powerful tool in sharing the gospel with others. What I'm saying is, tell your story and let the Spirit of God do the rest. Deliver the mail, if you would. But understand this also. Everyone don't want to hear what you have to say. And that's okay. Because just as the Pharisees didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say, we're in good company. The Pharisees reacted negatively to Jesus' growing influence and popularity, and Christians today may also face opposition and and misunderstanding when we share the gospel of Christ. And so as believers, we must respond to the challenges we face with others with grace and truth. We can have spirited conversations. There's nothing wrong with that. We can have passionate conversations. There's nothing wrong with that. We can engage with people about the truth, but let us beware. Let us remember who we represent. We must remember we represent Christ, and therefore we are to do it with grace, with truth. We must essentially speak the truth in love, in love. And so, as believers, 
We must respond to the challenges we face with others, with grace and truth, while maintaining a Christ-like demeanor, while at the same time standing firm in the faith. Immovable, standing firm in what we believe, not giving one inch, one iota, one word. Standing firm to the truth. We can do that. We can have passionate and spirited conversations, moving conversations without being disrespectful. The temptation is going to be there because guess what? People are going to throw their disrespect towards you. Remember, again, we don't represent ourselves. We are under the reign and rule of Christ. When someone doesn't want to hear our good message, we can move on. Why? Because we don't have power in ourselves anyway. We, we want to move where the Spirit is moving. We want to share the gospel with all those who would hear. Remember, we have the better hand. And remember, you are sons and daughters of the King. And so I'm going to end with this. At the end of the day, People today are challenged with the same choice. Either they will believe in the Lord as Savior and King or something else. You can put whatever you want to put there. The problem is, is that those things, are, those things are imperfect. They're insufficient for the kingdom of God. We cannot use human standards or human means for a kingdom that is not of this world. The Christ have come for that very reason, so that he might save sinners. In our text, there's more to consider for the believer and the unbeliever. For the believer, we will enjoy a greater love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, who is the sovereign King and ruler over all. Or we would be of those who walk away in denial, disbelief, and dissatisfied, which will only lead to being discouraged, hopeless, sad, and always miserable joyless, unfulfilled. Only the incarnate God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King and ruler of heaven and earth who has come to save sinners can give the ultimate fulfillment and the ultimate satisfaction for this life and the life to come. Whoever does not put their hope in Christ has lost and they are waiting For time to expire. For at that appointed time when all men must die, the judgment will come. And may that judgment not be for us. Instead, we would have received what Christ has given us, and the judgment would be on him. For when he had died, he took the penalty on our behalf. And those who would believe in that good news, in that gospel, the scripture says, you will be saved.